The difference between the Enneagram and most other personality assessments is that it's based on the why behind your behaviors. So it's that deeper layer. Most of the other assessments are based on the behaviors, which are external. We can typically see those in people or we know those about ourselves, but we don't know why. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Hi, this is your host, Jeff Tun. In order to meet our business goals, achieve operational efficiency, and keep things running at the most optimal level, an efficiently working team is a must. Today, our teams are working in a remote capacity more than ever before. Personality differences, communication, and working styles are all factors that have to be taken into account by leaders across all businesses. Today's guest, Rachel Pritz, is a certified life coach and an Enneagram guide. Her coaching and teaching can help us understand ourselves better so that we can be better leaders today and tomorrow. Welcome to the show, Rachel. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to have you on the show today. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Uh, I want to spend the bulk of our time together on your work as a life coach and as an Enneagram guide. But before we dive into that, I'd really like to start with your journey. You started your career as a nurse. Tell us the story of what led you to nursing and how did that lead you to your work today? Yeah, that's a great question. It's been quite a journey and an unexpected one, I would add. So I started right out of college, uh, went to nursing school uh, just by suggestion of a advisor that I was talking to. And she said, you know, I think, I think you have a heart for helping people. I think maybe nursing would be a good avenue for you. And I had never even thought about going into nursing. I didn't know any nurses, nobody in my family is a nurse. Um, but I thought, you know, that sounds right to me. So I... I went into nursing school, graduated at the age of 22 and jumped right in and spent the first 12, 12-ish years of my career at the bedside and really kind of honing that craft and, and learning how to take best care of my patients. And then I always knew that that wasn't going to be the end of the journey. And I was really interested in leadership. That had been something that I was natural at. People sort of just followed me. I never really knew why, but they were following me for some reason. And so, so I took that path, ultimately went back to school to get my master's degree in nursing. And then I took a few elective classes around nursing informatics, and I became fascinated with that. So we were just implementing a new electronic health record in the organization I was at. And it's like, gosh, this thing has a lot that we can do with it, but how are we going to do it? How are we going to take this data, all this stuff we're putting in this system and make better decisions for patients and ultimately save lives. So I became really fascinated with that piece of it and decided to get a dual master's degree. So I got my master's degree in nursing leadership and then also in nursing informatics. And as luck would have it, although I don't really believe in luck, as fate would have it, um, I was working in an organization that opened up a position for a leader to come in and bridge the gap between the clinicians and the IT world. Hmm. And 
couldn't have written the job written the job description better for what I was looking for. And the model was that we were using bedside physicians and nurses and other specialties to help advise IT teams on how to build systems in the best way. There's a lot of burnout out there in healthcare. Some of it's attributed to the electronic health record. That's not where it ends, but some of it kind of gets scapegoated onto the electronic health record and onto technology. But there, there is a real issue there. So clinicians are spending lots of time not with their patients because they're busy documenting and putting information and data into systems. And so part of my job was to bridge that gap between those two worlds and to speak both languages. So I, I knew nothing about IT. So I had to learn that language first and foremost. And I had to build a lot of relationships with those IT folks. And then once I was able to build those relationships, they felt like they trusted me. I could bring in those clinicians and we could have really healthy conversations and learn to collaborate with one another and get some real work done versus, you know, pointing fingers, blaming, having these conversations that weren't effective and we both went our separate ways and didn't get, really get any real work done. So I loved that role. Um, I say I was a, a bridge between a really large gap. So thank goodness I'm five foot ten. Um, it was, it was, it was a large gap. And I, I think, I hope anyway, that I did, um, make that gap a little bit smaller. So that was the role that I was in. And really during that time, that's when I got turned on to coaching, emotional intelligence, how we can bring our best, highest selves into leadership. So bridging that gap, I find that fascinating because I think there's a lot of organizations out there that can benefit from having somebody that helps to bridge that gap, to help translate. You were in an interesting position because you were translating between two very technical worlds. Was that challenge, uh, a larger challenge than maybe in, in some other areas, do you think? Yeah, so I do think that from the typical kind of business to IT relationship, there's a gap there, but I think this gap was almost like either end of the spectrum, you know? So it's like technical on the clinic, clinical side on one end mm -hmm. and then technical on the tech side on the other end. And we don't get trained in medical school, nursing school. We don't get trained on these things. That's not part of the training. It's more technical clinical skills. And so sometimes people would just throw out a word in IT that, that they assumed everyone knows. And actually most right. business people probably know the clinicians had no idea what they were saying. So I agree with you. I think there is a probably one of the largest gaps uh, in anywhere between business and IT in, in healthcare. That may have to do with some of the things that I've seen in healthcare IT is once you're in it, you kind of stay in it. You don't change verticals as an IT professional very often. Uh, and it's also harder for a, a non-healthcare IT person to break into that space. And it, it probably has a lot to do with that. As an IT professional, you start to understand some of the technical work on the clinician side. So you end up staying in that role. Have you seen that in your career as well? No, I think that's true. And we also have clinicians that will move over to IT. So there's lots of certifications within all of the different electronic health record systems. So it's not just the keep the lights on, it's the building new things, upgrades, all those things. And so we had a, we had a fair amount of clinicians that moved over to do that. 
But it's really amazing how quickly they forget some of those clinical skills or what it's like to be at the bedside. And and the world changes. You know, I mean, healthcare has changed even in the past five years pretty significantly. And it's going to continue to change. And we're going to get into, you know, so much more virtual care, which I'm so happy about that we're innovating there. But there's always this new, you know, we, we need to be innovative and we're still fixing problems that have been around for 15 plus years. So, yeah, I mean, I, I do see exactly what you're describing in healthcare for sure. So at some point in your career, you made the leap to go from that world of healthcare, healthcare IT and informatics into your own coaching business. Can you talk about what led you down that path? Yeah. So this is going to be in my book called Didn't See It Coming. Um, I, I don't really have a book. I just say I'm going to write one. And I really well, think you should. That, yeah, you should. This, this is part of it. So I really thought that nursing, healthcare, this um, IT piece of things and leadership, that was it. I thought that was it for me. And that's where I would stay forever. And then I experienced my own, what I describe as just life burnout. So I had two small kids at home. I was leading this team at work. There was, I think, a lot of pressure. Um, maybe it was mostly self-inflicted, but you know, I think people were expecting things out of me and they were excited I was there and to help bridge this gap. And so they, they had hope that things were going to be better. So a lot of pressure. I reached out to a mentor. We had coffee one morning and I just said, you know, I'm, I'm struggling on all fronts. You know, at home, I'm struggling. I, I feel like I'm failing my family. I feel like I'm not doing my best work here at work. I don't know what to do. And she said, hey, I think maybe you should reach out to a life coach. And I kind of almost laughed at first. I didn't even know life coaching was an actual thing at this point. So I had maybe heard it a few times, but, you know, I thought, okay, so if I don't need a therapist, I guess I just don't know where to go. There's nowhere to go. So what she described was exactly what I thought I needed. So I reached out to a certified life coach that she recommended, and she's actually still my coach to this day. This was over four years ago. She just made such a, a big impact on my life, and I call it an awakening. I really was awoke to myself. I was you know, 33 years old and felt like I didn't even know myself, and she really helped me to unravel the woman that I was born to be versus the woman that I was told I should be. And that was it. That was kind of, I was off to the races. I was obsessed with anything you could get your hands on from a personal development, self-development standpoint. And honestly, if you would have asked me 10 years ago, I would have probably said that that stuff wasn't needed. I, I would have, I would have been a skeptic. I would have said, you know what, that's soft stuff. I probably just need another certification or another degree to make myself the person I want to be. And I really needed the soft skills, which I was lacking at the time. So that's what turned me on to coaching. And then as I was exploring, I mean, it was that was one of those things that I couldn't turn off. It would be like I had to force myself to do my day job or take care of my family <laughs> at home because I was so obsessed with like reading these books and podcasts and just learning everything I could about myself from all these different perspectives. So I decided I'm going to look at life coach certification. It'll be something I do on the side. It's going to benefit my job today. I'll be able to coach people within my role. I, I think this will be, you know, a great avenue for me to explore. I went to a year-long coach training school and I got certified as a coach and I just started coaching people on the side. And I was watching within my organization 
how people were interacting with each other and the interpersonal skills that were so lacking. And it's exactly what we needed in order to be successful. So I was sitting back just observing and it hit me. We're never going to be successful unless everyone shows up as the highest, best version of themselves. And that doesn't happen with technical skills. That happens with some of these quote unquote soft skills, which are really the hard ones to learn. So those were really the marching orders that came to this point where I I had to go out and help people in a different way than I was as a bedside nurse. So I wanted to help people, coach people one-on-one, coach teams, so they could show up as the best versions of themselves, ultimately making them more efficient, more happy, and just bringing more joy to the world in general. So can you describe for our listeners, what is a life coach and what is an Enneagram guide? Yeah. Yeah. So life coaching, there's zero regulation around it right now. Ultimately there, there probably will be, but uh, there's no regulation today. So Jeff, you could call yourself a life coach today if you really wanted to, but I chose to go get certified because I really wanted to be sure that I had the skills and the tools that uh, my clients needed and I wanted to learn. And so thank goodness I did because it's much harder than it sounds. It sounds like you're just offering people advice. It's actually the exact opposite. You are just asking a series of powerful questions so they can have their own ahas and they can wake up to some of the the patterns of behavior that they have been doing for a long time that they didn't know existed. A lot of it's just question asking, asking the right questions. People actually know the answers to their problems, but we have to quiet the noise for them. And we live in a very noisy world, if you haven't noticed. So it's hard for us to spend time in reflection and really observing our own behaviors, we're just moving on to the next thing. And our brains never have a chance to really stop. So as a life coach, I help people unravel partially who they were born to be versus who they've been socialized to be. That's one big piece of it. But then I also also help them question their own thinking. So our, our brains tell us lies all the time. And we have to be able to question those and say, wait a minute, that's actually not true. And that's a lie I've been telling myself for decades that I'm not good enough, you know, or or whatever that looks like for particular clients. So that's the life coaching piece of it. The Enneagram guide, um, I'm also certified in Enneagram. And that really came independent from life coaching, but I was on this personal development journey And I stumbled upon the Enneagram and I had some friends that were walking through it. And I thought, okay, yeah, I'll try this thing again. Once again, I was a little bit of a skeptic. I think there's like a theme here that I'm a skeptic. Um, But I was a little bit of a skeptic around it because I'd taken a lot of other personality assessments. And I just, I thought, oh, here's another one. You know, I'm going to get this number and it's going to tell me who I am. And it's really not going to tell me a whole lot uh, about myself. The difference between the Enneagram and most other personality assessments is that it's based on the why behind your behaviors. So it's that deeper layer. Most of the other assessments are based on the behaviors, which are external. We can typically see those in people or we know those about ourselves, but we don't know why. We don't understand why we've created this pattern to protect ourselves, which is essentially what you're doing is you're protecting yourself from harm. You created it in childhood. You're doing it subconsciously still today. And that's what the Enneagram does, is it awakens you to some of these patterns of behavior that are no longer working for you. For example, in leadership, when I discovered that I was a nine, which took me almost a year, by the way, just doing my own self-reflection and learning through all the different teachers out there around the Enneagram, 
and I'm a type nine, which is not typically a very assertive type. And I learned quickly in leadership that I was going to have to be able to be more assertive if I wanted to get done what I thought needed to be done. I was going to have to be uncomfortable at times. I was going to have to have conflict. So I tapped into what we call a wing, which is my eight wing. The eight on the Enneagram is very assertive. In fact, probably one of the most assertive types on the Enneagram. And I tapped into that. And and based on human psychology, we can do that. So we're not stuck in this box. We're not stuck in this one number. They're actually saying that you have access to four of the different numbers around the Enneagram. And you look like one of them in stress. You look like one of them in growth. Um, And then you have these wings on either side of your number that sort of balance your type. It's less about being stuck in that one type and more about saying, okay, so you're in this type now. Now let's figure out what's not working for you. And let's figure out how we can intentionally grow you through these other numbers that you have close psychological access to. Gotcha. So one of the things that I found fascinating about your story, Rachel, when, when I first heard it a couple of months ago was when you launched your business, you envisioned yourself working predominantly with women, uh, helping them to find their real selves, I believe, as you as you said it. Uh, but what's ended up happening is you are working more with men than you thought you were, and even specifically men in the IT careers. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and kind of how that came to be and why you think... IT leaders are searching for this type of leadership development that comes from this study? Yeah. So this is another didn't see it coming. So you're right. I I launched my business and I said, I'm going to coach high achieving women and I'm going to help them become the best versions of themselves. And yes, today I still do some of that and I'm still passionate around that. But I was hired uh, last summer by an IT team And when I first had the opportunity, my gut reaction was, I'm going to say no, because men aren't aren't as reflective as women are. And I don't think they're going to take these tools and really apply them. And, you know, I had a lot of my own bias that I had to work through. So ultimately, I said, you know what, I've got to I've got to do this. I have to challenge myself and see what happens here. And I'll learn from it either way. So I went into this team, we did Enneagram coaching, and I had one-on-ones with each one of them. It was an all-male team. Uh, they did have some females, um, not at the director level, but um, you know, it was an all-male team. And so coached these men through it, and they were amazing. I mean, it almost brings tears to my eyes to think. I mean, a few of them teared up in our conversations. They are desperate to have safe spaces, authentic conversations where they can actually talk about themselves and the challenges that they're up against. I think my aha through that experience is that, yes, women have a lot of challenges, especially in IT. I think there are a lot of challenges for women leaders, but men have their own challenges too. They're just different than women's. And men are typically trained to, you know, be strong. Don't show that you're vulnerable. Don't show any weakness. And you know what? That doesn't work in today's world anymore. They need people more than anyone. Then I had another IT team reach out to me and also ultimately coach them and had the same experience. So my bias was really challenged and I really became passionate around helping not just women, but helping all people become the best versions of themselves in whatever way that looks. Um, For the men, it is a little bit different. And 
today I have more male clients than I do female clients and I'm enjoying it. I just think we have to be willing to challenge some of our old ways of thinking. I also think in IT, one of the challenges I saw was the inability to build relationships with the business or with the clinician I was working with. And so when they can feel more authentic, feel like they can show up as their best authentic selves, I think that that's when you can create real powerful relationships. And there's so many technically minded people. That's why they joined IT or that's why they work in IT. They have lots of certifications. They know that piece of it. That's not a problem. It is truly the soft skills, the interpersonal relationship skills that I see lacking in IT specifically. They never really teach that. It's like you were talking earlier about the nurses and the clinicians. They don't they don't teach the soft skills on that either. They focus on the technical skills. So I, I agree. I think there's a huge gap in IT of developing those soft skills. So as you look at the study of the Enneagram and identifying your number in your wings, how does that help me communicate better to my followers as an IT leader? Yeah, so each one of the types has kind of a specific stance that they um, use, or there's three types that are in each stance. One of them is really assertive, or even sometimes would be considered aggressive, especially if they're not healthy within their type. Those are three sevens and eights. So they tend to show up as pretty assertive, very direct people. Uh, Some of the other types are not so much that way. So from a communication style, if you show up to a four, five, or nine, a nine is how I show up in the world. If you show up very direct and almost aggressive, we're going to withdraw. We're going to, we're going to retreat. And that's going to be our natural sense is we got to get out of here. (laughs) This is dangerous, right? You know, even though we don't know that we're doing that. So I think recognizing how people even communicate based on their particular number is really helpful. And then you have some of the other types that will actually move towards people. So that's their their go-to is they actually want to talk with people and get their advice and have them help them through this problem. And so imagine, again, if you have somebody that shows up really direct or assertive or somebody that is withdrawn in that conversation, well, that's not going to go over very well either. So I think there's a lot there from a communication standpoint, but then also just creating uh, more interpersonal relationships, better understanding, oh, that's that's not about me, that behavior that you just showed me. It's not about me. That's actually about you. And that's yeah. just how you show up in the world based on your particular Enneagram type or your worldview. So I think it really depersonalizes people's behaviors and just offers people more grace for how they're showing up in the world because we all have shadow sides in the Enneagram. And they're hard, they're hard to read. You know, it's hard to read about yourself, even though you know it's true. But every single type has those. When you can look at those, then you can say, oh, I have much more grace for that person. I'm now going from judging them to actually valuing the difference that they bring to the table. So how do I go about finding my type? How do our listeners go about finding their type? Yeah, so I still use tests with corporate environments, but to be quite honest, the test is not a reliable source for coming up with your type. I would suggest that people either decide they're going to dive in deep and explore all the types, 
or hire someone that is trained or certified in Enneagram coaching. Part of the problem with the test is that it's testing things that we're asleep to, right? We're asleep to some of these subconscious behaviors. So we get the results back. They say they're about 80% reliable. I think it's probably a little bit lower. Hmm. Um, and if you have somebody that's that's certified in the Enneagram, they can start to see patterns within, even, even if you do have a test, they can start to see patterns within a test or they can start to hear patterns within some of what people are saying and say, oh, well, that's their stress arrow. They go to a six and stress. That makes sense. So you can start to connect those things. It's a, it'll yeah. be a much quicker journey if you have someone guide you through it. You can certainly do it on your own. One of the best books, I think, for mainstream is The Road Back to You by Ian Cron and Suzanne Stabile. And it's a good storytelling book. They kind of walk through all the different types. Most people, after they have a read of that or a listen to it, I like to listen to books on Audible. Mm-hmm. Um, most people can land on a few, a few of those that sound like them. Then they can start to really explore. Discovering the type is just the beginning. So I always like to throw that out there too. A lot of people stop there and there's so much growth opportunity around that type that we miss if we stop at just that number. Is it more about understanding my type versus understanding your type? In other words, if I'm an IT leader, like many of our listeners are, do I need to understand both my type and my followers type? Or can I improve my leadership skills just knowing my own? Yeah. The starting point obviously is knowing your own. And yes, you can improve your leadership skills just by knowing your own. The beauty of my year-long journey is that I was so confused about my type that I had to deep dive into every single type. Mm -hmm. And I learned them inside and out. And I was still in a leadership position at the time. And I started realizing, okay, I can almost figure out where people land. I always tell people you can't really type someone but you can kind of figure out about where they land. You know if they're an assertive, direct person, typically. And then you know how to grow them, too. And so, you know, if they're not typically assertive, maybe asking them more questions in meetings and asking them to speak up or, hey, you know, Jeff, do you have any ideas on this particular subject? I think there's a lot that can be gained just by an individual learning their type. Absolutely. And not to mention at work, but also at home. So when you can start to learn more about your families and how they show up in the world, that's a huge win too. But then the icing on the cake is when you can really learn about your team and you can better know how to treat them. I always say the golden rule is crap. We were all taught it to treat people the way that we want to be treated, but the platinum rule applies here, especially in leadership. We need to treat people the way they need to be treated. And it's different for every individual. And yes, that's hard. And it takes time. But when you do that work up front, you will see the results on the other end. So you mentioned this earlier about times of stress. And uh, to our listeners who may be listening to this uh, at some point in the future, we're in the midst of social distancing and stay-at-home orders because of COVID-19. And I don't want to focus exclusively on that, but it's definitely a time of stress. How does understanding these concepts help manage yourself in times of stress and lead your team in times of stress? Yeah. So when you get, you know, when you understand your Enneagram and you know where you go in stress, I just think it's another level of awareness. So for the individual, when you can say, oh, I'm starting to see some of these behaviors come out that I'm not used to, and this doesn't really feel like 
me what's going on. It's a good opportunity to call a timeout and try to figure out what's happening. Maybe you need a mental health day. Maybe you, you need you know something that you have enjoyed doing, but you haven't done it in a long time. Maybe you need to take a little break and do that. I think, especially in this particular time, because we're all under some level of stress and it's collectively at the same time. So that's the unique right. thing about it. Typically people kind of ebb and flow through stress on an individual basis. We're doing it together right now. And so people are going to show up a little different right now. And people might have some different behaviors that we're not used to. Don't take those personal in this particular space. We're all in this together. We're all under some form of stress. So people may be showing up differently. Just chalk it up to, you know, this is the, the current circumstance. Okay. Now in, uh, you know, normal world, which we hopefully get back to some, you know, new normal, whatever that looks like. Um, that's a good opportunity for you to recognize even in your people. So, you know, you know it about you, but now you're seeing different behaviors in your people. Oh gosh. Well, you know, Rachel's a nine and she's normally so optimistic and positive, And she just rolled in here with a whole bunch of pessimistic views and telling me all the things that could go wrong. Well, that's because I look like a six in stress and I look very different than I do in my normal, peaceful Zen state that I've, worked really hard to create and stay in, but I have to get out of it at times. And so I just think offering some grace, especially in this time, or recognizing that people are stressed and just having an authentic conversation with them, pulling them aside and saying, hey, I'm noticing, you know, something's a little different about you. Is everything okay? Is there anything that I can do to help? You know, I think there's lots of opportunity there to really be intentional and pay attention as a leader. That is great insight in today's world and tomorrow's world. This has really been a great conversation and we appreciate your insights. I like to wrap these conversations up with a solid call to action. So what's one thing our listeners should do tomorrow because they listen to us today? Yeah, I would say to start observing yourself. We have time right now, some observation time. Start questioning some of the behaviors that you've been doing for a long time that you know are no longer serving you. And when you start to question those, at least bring them to the awareness, that's when real growth journeys can happen. So just question question things that you're doing that you know aren't working for you, but you just keep doing them and you don't know why. Start there. Start with one, one thing that is on autopilot that isn't working. That is great advice. It's uh... Quit beating your head against the wall and step back and observe what's going on. I love that. Rachel, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to teach us, help guide us uh, along this path. So thank you. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. To our any of our listeners, uh, Rachel, how can they get a hold of you? If they want to learn more, if they want to understand more about this process, how can they best get a hold of you? Yeah. So the best way would be likely through LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn, um, do quite a few posts there. So that's a good place to start. Also my website, rachelfritz.com has some of these services laid out. Um, honestly, a quick phone call uh, from the website. You, there's a link there that you can just set up a phone call if you're interested in knowing more. Um, just click that button, direct link to my calendar, and we can have a uh, on the phone chat. Excellent. Excellent. To our listeners, if you have a question or want to learn more, you can go to intervision.com. Our show notes will provide the links and contact information, and we'll be sure to link 
to Rachel's website there as well, in case you uh, didn't have an opportunity to jot that down. This is Jeff Tun for Rachel Pritz. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.